Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to the New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson. You might have caught on to that from the introduction. Uh, but today is usually our Q&A, our Q&A week day, where we go to the mailbag and answer your questions and help you be more successful in the landscape with your specific landscape problems and concerns. But then I realized that this Saturday is really... The Halloween weekend and I thought we'd do something a little special something a little different if you will as a matter of fact uh, when we first started doing a gardening program here on WRWH 93.9 FM it was like oh summer of 2018 a long time ago and we had a little program that we called let's get growing well the name has changed since but of course our dedication to helping you be more successful and give you inspiration for gardening and all things growing has not changed. But that particular Halloween weekend, we did a show where we talked about deadly plants because the garden can be a deadly place if we're not careful. And I thought we'd go back to the archives and pull uh, little segments that we did. Of course, we did these sort of vignettes about special stories, Halloween sort of scary, if you will. They're not very scary, but they are quite educational on uh, maybe some legends and lore that follow our landscapes and our gardens. As a matter of fact, I remember we talked about uh, the jack-o'-lantern and how the jack-o'-lantern came about. We're going to talk about that today. You're going to hear that story. So we are going to be pulling from uh, some archives here where we've uh, already done some great stories on these scary kind of gardening topics, if you will, <laughs> but I think you'll enjoy them. It's been a long time since I've heard them, and I thought, ah, why not? Let's, let's do a little something spooky today. And so my voice, I think, has changed in the past three years. I did have a tonsillectomy in about 2019, so you will hear my voice pre-tonsillectomy. <laughs> it's a little odd to hear myself uh, several years ago. But regardless, this is the New Southern Garden, and we are going to talk about growing and growing well, specifically today, spooky, scary stories just in time for Halloween. Now, if you missed this program last week, well, you definitely uh, need to check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com because last week's show will be available there for you to listen to and download uh, on demand can listen to it anytime that you feel uh, behooved to do so. And of course, 
You can also, while you're at NewSouthernGarden.com, you can send us a question. You can go to the Contact Us page, and you will find all kinds of things at Facebook and Instagram where you can send us questions as well. We will revisit your questions next week, but I did think that this week would be a great week to talk about scary things in the landscape. Yes, it is well known that uh, plants can produce certain chemistries they can produce certain chemicals that can be quite deadly so we need to be careful now one of those most commonly uh, uh, poisonous plants around our area is poison oak maybe poison ivy but most of the time it's poison oak and of course it has these uh, these oils that can get onto your skin and they can leave abrasions and uh, welts goodness I am very allergic to it I think all I have to do is look at the plant And I will start breaking out in those terrible hives. But regardless, today is about getting you a little excited about this Halloween weekend and getting you, oh, I don't want to say scaring you, uh, but I think you'll enjoy some of these stories. So let's just jump right in about the story of the jack-o'-lantern and where that comes from. Mr. Producer, if you will, roll that tape, please. The legend of the jack-o'-lantern comes to us from somewhere in Ireland, and Ironically, this tale begins with a man and a turnip, not a pumpkin. Stingy Jack, as the townsfolk called him, was a real cheapskate. Just as his name suggests, Jack was really greedy, but he was also very clever. As the story goes, Jack was a miserable old drunk who loved to play tricks. He would play tricks on practically anyone, his friends, his enemies, his own mother, and one day, even the devil himself, and on more than one occasion. One time, Jack tricked the devil into climbing an apple tree. Immediately, Jack began to place crosses around the trunk of the tree, and the devil, who couldn't touch a cross, was trapped up high in the tree's canopy. Jack then made a deal with the devil, like many throughout history have. Jack agreed to let the devil out of the tree if he would promise not to take his soul when Jack died. The devil agreed. Yet another time, Jack was being pursued by a mob of angry townspeople from whom he had stolen some goods. Upon passing by the devil, Jack convinced Satan to bedevil the church-going villagers who were in hot pursuit by turning himself into a coin so that he could pay for the goods that he had stolen. Jack told the devil that he could disappear as a coin later on, leaving the villagers to fight amongst themselves who had taken the coin. The devil agreed to Jack's plan. The devil commenced to turn himself into a silver coin and jumped into Jack's coin purse, only to find himself squeezed tight to a cross that Jack had picked up in the village. Being strapped next to a cross, the devil was stripped of his powers. Jack allowed the devil to go free as long as he swore, again, to not take his soul when he dies. Despite Jack's cleverness, however, the devil had the last laugh because, you see, upon dying, God wouldn't allow his entrance into heaven because he had been mean and cruel, a drunk who had led a miserable, worthless life. And Satan wouldn't let him into hell either because of the promise he had made to Jack of not claiming his soul. So Jack was forced to aimlessly wander the earth alone. Jack asked the devil if he could have a light to help guide his path, and the devil obliged mockingly throwing him a small piece of a burning coal from the embers of hell. Jack then carved a face out of a turnip, not a pumpkin, 
placed the burning coal inside and used it as a lantern. And, as the legend goes, he's been wandering ever since. The first jack-o'-lantern was not made from a pumpkin because the pumpkin is not native to Europe. Old Stingy Jack and the Irish people wouldn't have even known of its existence hundreds of years ago. They wouldn't have known about pumpkin because it's a fruit that's native to, well, right here, the Americas. All pumpkins are considered winter squash and fall into a group of plants known as the cucurbits. This makes the pumpkin a close relative of not just crooked neck squash, but also cucumbers and gourds. The oldest evidence of pumpkin-related seeds date to between 7,000 and 5,000 BC. These seeds were found in Mexico. Botanically speaking, the pumpkin itself is a fruit, a type of berry called a pipo, to be more precise. Just like other cucurbits, the pumpkin plant produces both an independent male and female flower. The female flower must be pollinated by pollen from the male by some type of pollinator. Usually, the honeybee takes care of this. However, with the decline of bees, many gardeners are forced to hand pollinate their pumpkin plants themselves. Because of their need for pollination, it's very common amongst gardeners who save their seed to find cucurbit fruits with unusual characteristics year after year, an effect directly caused by cross-pollination. Pumpkins are now grown all around the world. However, the only continent that is unable to produce pumpkins is Antarctica, with its all-too-cold temperatures. The United States, Canada, and Mexico are the top producers of agricultural pumpkins, and the traditional American pumpkin used to make jack-o'-lanterns is a variety known as the Connecticut Field Pumpkin. A couple of years ago, a Belgian man was awarded with growing the largest pumpkin ever. His little peepo was weighed in at a whopping 2,624 pounds. Try checking that out at the grocery store counter. In 2013, the city of Keene, New Hampshire, broke the record for the most jack-o'-lanterns lit simultaneously. The total jack-o'-lanterns lit on October 19, 2013, was 30,581. When waves of Irish immigrants flooded to the Americas in the mid-1800s, after the devastation caused by the potato famine, they brought their story of the jack-o'-lantern and Stingy Jack with them. But they began to favor this American gourd, the pumpkin, over a turnip. You see, pumpkins are much easier to carve with their semi-hollow bodies and soft flesh. There is a lighter side to this story, however. Throughout the 19th century, jack-o'-lanterns were also known to be used for nighttime pranks. Kids growing up in the Victorian age would carve out creepy faces into pumpkins, place a candle inside the cavity, and use them to scare unsuspecting people at night. The Massachusetts poet John Greenleaf Whittier described the time period well in his appropriately named poem, The Pumpkin. Oh, fruit loved of boyhood, the old days recalling, when wood grapes were purpling and brown nuts were falling. When wild, ugly faces we carved in its skin, glaring out through the dark with a candle within. Whether a jack-o'-lantern makes you cry or laugh this Halloween season, perhaps it will remind you of a poor, cursed soul who has endlessly been wandering this earth for centuries with nothing more than a hollowed-out turnip in his hand. Oh, and be sure to light a jack-o'-lantern for poor old stingy Jack. So his wandering isn't quite so dark. 
Ha 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 ha. Little scary, maybe, but not too bad. Of course, the pumpkin uh, is usually what we use this Halloween season to carve jack-o'-lanterns. And did you know that uh, pumpkins, of course, the majority of the production you'll find when you're purchasing pumpkins at the market, they really do come from another part of the country, not the south. Usually, these pumpkins are coming from the north northeast particularly around Pennsylvania. They've got great climate for that. Here in the South, unfortunately, pumpkins can uh, become subject to our heat and humidity. Uh, It's not necessarily the heat that's a problem, but you add in the humidity, and of course, you get some terrible diseases and rotting. And so a lot of pumpkins that are grown in the South, they they may not perform well. Uh, Certain varieties you may not even attempt because of that fact. But there has been some... Uh, See, back when I was at UGA, there was some um, breeding going on with one of my professors who uh, was a vegetable grower and researcher and extension guy and professor. All of the things he did was mainly about vegetables. And he did actually breed a pumpkin out of UGA that can handle uh, the climate we're in. They actually, he actually named it Bulldog. So the Bulldog Pumpkin, I don't know if you can find seeds for that or not. I haven't looked for them, but uh, the Bulldog Pumpkin is, has originated here in the Southeast, and it's a great selection. Now, I'm not discouraging you from growing your own pumpkin patch, maybe next year, because it's too cold now. But if you start them in the spring, they will grow and grow. And of course, the uh, pumpkins that get so large, it's, there are some varieties that naturally are larger, but at the same rate, you if you really want a giant pumpkin, what you have to do is you have to remove, when your pumpkins start forming, remove all the pumpkins on a vine except for one. That's right. Leave one pumpkin per one vine, and then that plant will feed. It will feed that one pumpkin all the nutrition that it can. And with that in mind, that one pumpkin will become even larger. If you allow more pumpkins, more than one pumpkin on a vine, then obviously the nutrition the plant's producing is going, is distributed between all of those numbers of pumpkins. And so if you really want to grow like uh, Charlie Brown did, or rather Linus did, waiting for that great pumpkin, then you uh, will have to leave one pumpkin per vine. It's a cool little trick. It's called thinning. And we've talked about thinning before, uh, particularly when we talk about growing uh, fruits like apples and pears. If you leave all of the fruits on and do no thinning, you will have a lot of fruits that are very small. But if you want large fruits on really any plant, then the idea is to remove a certain number of those fruits and you will have larger fruits. Yes, you'll have less, but they'll be bigger, uh, probably juicier and definitely tasty. So definitely next spring, try to grow some pumpkins so that this time next year, you can carve your own jack-o'-lanterns from your own homegrown pumpkins. Well, gang, when we get back, we've got some more creepy garden tales just around the corner. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share... 
whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Well, gang, if you're just joining us today, uh, you are in for a treat. We've already missed so much. Today is our Halloween special. These uh, discussions we're having today, we're telling little tales about plants that are scary, strange, and to be honest, downright deadly. And this segment, we are talking about some very dangerous plants that are very beautiful and can be used in the landscape, but we've got to be aware of their noxious and toxious properties. Uh, we're going to talk about oleander in a second, and we're going to talk about the yew plant, which the yew plant is very rich in its history, is steeped in history as far back as, oh gosh, probably the ancient Romans. But regardless, you're going to find a twist ending about the yew story because there is a plant that's probably growing in your back garden or maybe in the woods that is very closely related to the yew plant. So we've got a big treat for you. But yes, we are postponing our Q&A week this week. Uh, it was a tough decision for me to make, but I think that because we are just a few hours away from Halloween, we might as well get in the mood uh, for something spooky and something scary. Uh, Eden Rose, my precious two-year-old daughter, she loves to get scared. And it's really just a game we play. Uh, I, I'll look at her and say, Eden, boo. And she'll say, ooh, scare me. And then she'll say, dada, boo. And I'll say, oh, you scared me. So I think that a little fright is nothing to be scared of. But, uh, you know, it. like I said, with these plants, there are many plants that you may or may not know can be quite dangerous. And just always be aware of the plants you're growing, especially with children around and with animals uh, like pets, uh, dogs, cats, just so that we can be all safe and sound. So we're going to the archives for this story from several years ago, but I think that you will love it. It will be a trick or maybe it will be a treat. So let's roll this. In AD 77, Pliny the Elder described the oleander as an evergreen bearing a strong resemblance to the rose tree, and throwing out numerous branches from the stem. To beasts of burden, goats and sheep, it is poisonous, but for man, it is an antidote against the venom of serpents. Pliny may have been the most influential botanist of his time, but he was wrong about the oleander. The only relief it would provide, a snakebite victim, would be a swift and merciful death. This highly toxic shrub is popular in warm climates around the world for its red, pink, yellow, or white blossoms. Because it is so widespread, it has been implicated in a surprising number of murders and accidental deaths over the years. One popular legend is that campers have died after grilling meat over the campfire on skewers made from oleander twigs. This tale is unconfirmed, but the poisons in the sap and bark of oleander could easily contaminate food. Oleander contains oleandrin, a cardiac glycoside that brings on nausea and vomiting, severe weakness, irregular pulse, and a decreased heart rate that leads quickly to death. It is also toxic to animals. 
In spite of the leaves' bitter taste, a cat or dog might be tempted to nibble them. Inhaling the smoke from burning oleander wood can be highly irritating, and even honey made from the plant's nectar can be poisonous. A study of compost made from oleander showed that oleandrin remains in the compost at detectable levels for 300 days, but that vegetables grown in the compost don't absorb the toxins. Children are particularly at risk because it takes only a few leaves to kill them. In the year 2000, two toddlers in Southern California were found dead in their cribs after chewing on the leaves. Just a few months later, a woman in Southern California tried to collect on her husband's life insurance by putting the leaves in his food. He went to the hospital with severe gastrointestinal problems, but he survived. And as he was recuperating, his wife finished the job by offering him Gatorade laced with antifreeze. She is now one of 15 women on California's death row and the only one who attempted murder with a plant. Unfortunately, oleander has had a reputation as a medicinal plant, leading people suffering from certain kinds of cancer or heart problems to attempt an oleander soup or tea from recipes they find online. This practice is very dangerous. Although there have been attempts to market an extract called Anverzel in the United States, it has not received approval in the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Other common plants that are related to oleander include plumeria and periwinkle. In 1240, Bartholomus Anglicus described the yew plant in his Encyclopedia on the Properties of Things as a tree with venom and poison. It's fitting, perhaps, that this highly toxic tree has come to be known as the graveyard tree in England. The plant earned that name not for its ability to send people to an early grave, but because Roman invaders began offering church services in the shade of yew trees, hoping that this would appeal to the pagan population. Today, ancient yew trees are still found near churches in the English countryside. The sight of these yew trees in cemeteries inspired Alfred Lord Tennyson to write, Thy fibers knit the dreamless head, thy roots are wrapped about the bones. In fact, an ancient churchside yew growing in the English village of Selborne was toppled during a storm in 1990, and the bones of the long-ago dead were found tangled in its roots. The yew is a slow-growing evergreen that can live two or three centuries, but it is difficult to date mature trees because the dense wood doesn't always produce rings. The fine needle-like leaves and red fruit make it an attractive landscape tree that can easily reach 70 feet in height. In England, yews are often pruned to form a formal hedge. The Hampton Court Palace's legendary 300-year-old hedge maze is now planted almost entirely with yew. But every part of the yew is poisonous with the exception of the flesh of its red berry-like fruit, called an arrel, and even that contains a toxic seed. The arrel itself is slightly sweet, making it a temptation for children. Eating just a few seeds or a handful of leaves will bring on gastrointestinal symptoms, a dangerous drop in the pulse rate, and possible heart failure. One medical manual mournfully noted that many victims never described their symptoms because they were found dead. Yews pose a particular hazard to pets and livestock. A veterinary medicine article stated that often the first evidence of yew toxicosis is unexpected death. 
In Caesar's Gaelic Wars, suicide by you became a way to avoid facing defeat. Catavolcus, king of a tribe who lived in what is now Belgium, was worn out by age, unable to endure the fatigue, either of war or flight, and destroyed himself with the juice of the yew tree. Pliny the Elder wrote that travelers' vessels made of yew wood and filled with wine could poison people who drank from them. But before ripping that yew tree out of your garden, consider this. In the early 1960s, a team of researchers from the National Cancer Institute discovered that yew extract had potent anti-tumor properties. Now the drug paclitaxel, or Taxol, is used to fight ovarian, breast, and lung cancers and shows promise for many others. Companies like Limehurst Limited collect hedge clippings from English gardens for the pharmaceutical industry. Research indicates that yew trees even secrete the drug into the soil, opening up the possibility that cancer-fighting compounds can be extracted without harming the trees. Relatives of the English yew include the Japanese yew, which is native to Japan but grows throughout North America, also Pacific or Western yew, which is found in Western United States, and, of course, the Canadian yew, which is often called Eastern Hemlock. Well, gang, I have to let you know that just a few weeks ago, I planted an Easter hemlock down by the pond on our property. It looks beautiful. Just because it is related to a plant that can or that, that does have some noxious properties, they still can be very beautiful. And of course, those limbs, as they grow high in the air, won't really be uh, accessible to children and to other animals. But it is a native plant that is nice and evergreen, a thick, dense canopy uh, that has been used for a long time. And of course, those of us growing in the North Georgia areas, particularly in the mountains. It's a great space, great place for these plants to grow. Eastern hemlock. Now, oleander can be a bit tender, so you may not necessarily be able to grow it, but I've seen it in landscapes in our area more and more because of our mild winters. They do find some protection. So regardless, when we get back from this break, more scary stories about the garden. <laughs> Hang on tight. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, happy gardening weekend and also happy Halloween because we are talking about those spooky and scary plants in the landscape. Now, I'm not talking about some little plant that pops up and says, boo. No, I'm talking about those plants that have characteristics that can be quite deadly. There's a lot of plants out there we've got to be careful with, and we're talking about some of those today. We are pulling from the archives because we talked about this. Uh, we did these little vignettes, if you will, about three or four years ago before New Southern Garden was even a thing. The program was called Let's Get Growing. And, of course, we still stay true to that motto, Let's Get Growing here on New Southern Garden. But I was talking about this week with my wife, and she's like, well, it's, it's Halloween, so maybe you need to talk. She said, you remember you did those uh, little vignettes several years ago? She said, I really like that. 
So a lot of this is coming back around because my wife, Samantha, really liked these stories. And I think that it is important for us to know uh, plants that can be dangerous. Because, well, the next story we're going to talk about, you're going to find that just haphazardly, not knowing what a plant can do, not knowing what a plant is, can be just as dangerous as the things that it can do to you. Because not knowing that a plant is poisonous or dangerous, you might you might try to consume it. <laughs> you might try to uh, pull the weeds and the oils get on your hands and you get some welts uh, or some rashes. So you got to be careful. As a matter of fact, there is this this thing that's been more and more popular called foraging. Now foraging is as old uh, foraging is as older. It's, it's older than gardening itself because before humans knew that they could dig a hole and plant a seed and grow a plant to eat, they were, or we were, <laughs> we were going into the woods, going into the prairies, looking for berries on wild plants, looking for fruits on wild plants, looking for tasty foliage and leaves. And that, of course, is how we figured out which plants are good to eat, like lettuce, if you find wild lettuce, remember everything was wild at one time, but if you find wild lettuce, it won't look like the lettuce you're eating today because humans have bred it and selected for great tasting lettuce leaves. But of course, those old foraging techniques led to a lot of loss of life because nobody knew at the time what was good to eat and what wasn't. We just learned by trial and error. Well, some folks today are revisiting or trying to bring back foraging, going into the woods, looking for plant material and, say, fungus like mushrooms to eat and cook and use in the kitchen. But we've got to be careful. We've got to know exactly what we're dealing with, because if we don't uh, take the initiative to learn and educate ourselves and we start cramming down wild plants or mushrooms into our gullets, it could lead to some disaster. And this next little tale is definitely something like that. There are many plants that are growing in your backyard, front yard, maybe. Oh, I shouldn't say many, but there are definitely a few, some, uh, that may have some characteristics uh, for, for good and may have characteristics for bad. So we want to make sure that when we are foraging, I, I'm not necessarily one of those kinds of persons, people. Uh, but if we are going into the wild, make sure you know what your plant is. As a matter of fact, some plants, some plants have lookalikes. That's right. There are just minor differences between a poisonous plant and a non-poisonous plant sometimes. So you've really got to know those minor characteristics and traits uh, that could either save your life or end it. And so on this Halloween special, we're going to talk about one more plant, uh, another plant that is native here. You're going to find out that can be quite, uh, quite scary, quite spooky. So I hope you enjoy this one. Mr. Producer, as before, let's roll this tape. Sometimes plants can have an effect on our lives without us even realizing what's going on. Sometimes the effect can be positive, such as the fragrance of a rose on a summer's day. But other times the effect can turn, well, deadly. And such was the case for Nancy Hanks. 
Nancy Hanks was born in the last decade of the 18th century in a town that would later become known as Antioch, West Virginia. But in 1806, she fell in love and married a farmer carpenter named Thomas. Their love grew and produced three children, the eldest, a girl named Sarah, a boy named Abraham, and the youngest, Thomas Jr., who died the same year he was born, 1812. In 1816, the year that Indiana became the 19th state of the U.S., Thomas and Nancy took their young family and moved to the new state to homestead in a settlement known as Little Pigeon Creek. They built their cabin with their own hands. And it was in this little cabin that Nancy taught young Sarah and Abraham not only their letters, but also extraordinary sweetness and patience. For you see, Nancy has been described as being mild, tender, and intellectually inclined. Author William Herndon writes that Nancy was ordinary height and stature, weighed about 130 pounds, was slenderly built, and had much the appearance of one inclined to consumption. Her skin was dark, hair dark brown, eyes gray and small, forehead prominent, face sharp and angular, with a marked expression for melancholy of all who ever saw or knew her. Though her life was clouded by a spirit of sadness, she was in disposition amiable and generally cheerful. Perhaps her sad-looking characteristics were just a foreshadow of the doom to come. It was just two years later, after moving to Little Pigeon Creek in 1818, that Nancy died. Even though the cause of her death has conflicting tales, the most popular explanation for her death is that she died of milk sickness. As a matter of fact, several people succumbed to the illness in Little Pigeon Creek that season, including her aunt and uncle, Elizabeth and Thomas Sparrow, who young Nancy had lived with for several years while growing up. Milk sickness is what it was called, yet in 1818, the science behind the disease was not well known. You see, milk sickness is caused by drinking the milk or eating the meat of cows that have feasted off of a little western green weed known as white snake root, a close relative of our eastern Joe Pye weed. Though milk sickness is rare today, it was common amongst migrants to the Midwest in the 19th century, and it claimed thousands of lives. Anna Pierce Hobbs Bixby, or also known as Dr. Anna on the frontier, is credited with identifying white snake root as the culprit. The plant is not normally grazed by cattle unless other sources of forage are not available. So when pasture was scarce, cows would graze in the woods, the natural habitat of white snake root. The cows are not affected by the plant quite like humans are, so it wasn't clear that the milk or meat of these animals was poisoned. Because of this, people were fearful of milk sickness, just as they were of infectious diseases like cholera and yellow fever, whose causes were not understood at the time either. Today, however, we know that milk sickness is caused due to a potent toxin called Timetrol that is found within the white snake root plant. Once ingested by the cow, it is passed through the animal's milk and meat, which sadly found its way to dear Nancy. Just like Nancy, others who suffered from milk sickness would have experienced trembling, vomiting, and severe intestinal pain until the sufferer finally succumbed to the toxin. 
On October 5, 1818, Nancy died at the age of 34. Her nine-year-old son, Abraham, helped his father build his mother's coffin, whittling away at wooden dowels to create pegs that would hold the planks together. Perhaps this was just another foreshadow, however, for it was the same Abraham that would use his words to hold the states of a divided nation together in years to come. This Abraham would be known as the 16th President of the United States of America, Abraham Lincoln, and it was White Snake Root that killed Abraham Lincoln's mother, Nancy Hanks Lincoln. However, if you think this is where the story ends, you would be wrong. You see, White Snake Root is still very much alive and grows wild, even probably in your backyard. Well, there you go, gang, another native plant with some very dangerous personality. Of course, today's program, we are talking about plants for Halloween because these plants are spooky, scary, and, well, downright deadly. White snake root, who would have known that our 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln's mother, was a casualty of some of those potent and dangerous properties. You see, folks, plants have a rich history throughout American, well, not just American history, but world history, because it is plants. It's plants that feed us. It's plants that we use fiber from. And in some cases, we use fuel from plants. Think about it. We are using fuel from plants when we light up a fire in our fireplace over winter. We are using the uh, fibers and sinuous uh, construction of trunks from trees, whether it's oak or maple or, or whatever you're burning in that fireplace. You see, plants are very essential to our lives today. Even though many of us may not live on farms or even have cows that pasture, uh, there can be, there can definitely be things uh, in our very own lives we're affected by. And so again, today, spooky, scary plants. Um, But I do want to transition because I need to update you. I need to update you on what's going on in my life real quick. Last week, I uh, mentioned that we would be having a baby on Monday, and we did. We had a baby this past Monday, a little boy who was seven pounds, one ounce, and he clocked in at 20 and a quarter inches long. His name is Ezra Scott Wilson. Of course, Scott is my middle name, and it's also the middle name of my father. And so he's a cute bundle of joy, and I really anticipate and can't wait. I can't wait for the day when he's walking and running around just like his big sister, Eden Rose, helping me pull weeds because pulling weeds is definitely something I need help with. And, of course, when he can use a shovel, help me dig some soil so we can plant some trees, Eden, uh, his big sister has already done that. We planted some trees, oh, about this time, maybe a little later last year, and they are growing great and growing fine. So with that, with all this discussion of spooky, scary, and of course, deadly plants, I just wanted to remind you that life is abundant, and the people that we uh, are surrounded by, of course, uh, whether it's gardening pals, uh, our grandchildren, your very own children, neighbors, We can work and live together in the garden doing things. It's a good way to uh, build relationships. And I just anticipate the day when this new, fresh little baby is going to be helping me and, of course, his big sister and my wife do do things in the landscape and garden. It's an exciting time. I I don't want this entire show 
to be dark and spooky. I do want to give you some encouragement, uh, but this is Halloween weekend, and what better way to celebrate the uh, season, the spooky, scary season, than to talk about some of these things. So, of course, we're coming up on a break, but we will be coming back with a, another story, one last story, to hopefully frighten you and scare you just a little bit. But remember, growing anything in the landscape is a good thing. Getting your hands dirty is an, a beneficial thing, not just to your body, because it's a great form of exercise, but it's also a great benefit to your soul. Remember, plants do one of two things. Plants either feed our bodies, like tomatoes, vegetables, fruits, apples, or they feed our souls. Flowers, gardenias, hydrangeas, uh, coneflower, those beautiful plants that we love. Plants, yes, they can have some deadly characteristics and scary aspects, but they also can be very good and beneficial. So when we get back, more about these scary plants. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, here we are for the final segment of today's special Halloween in the Garden program. (laughs) We're talking about scary plants, spooky tales in the garden. And I'm going to leave you this morning with uh, my top 13 deadliest plants. Now, some of these aren't plants, but they are some form of wildlife. Maybe they're a fungus or something, but most of them are plants. So, of course, before we get into that, I want to remind you that the most important thing you can do when you go into the forest is to know the plants that are surrounding you. Know the, uh, whether it's fungal life, uh, insect life even, know what is around you before you start touching, before you start prodding, because you never know what you might get into. So, of course, without further delay, let's talk about the 13 deadliest plants. Nature is terrifying. Spiders, earthquakes, bears, hurricanes, and sharks all provide ample fodder for our nightmares. But botanical life rarely gets its dues for being scary, despite the fact that there are plants that kill, sting, poison, and just chill in the woods looking creepy. These plants will have you feeling a little less safe the next time you venture outdoors. The bleeding tooth fungus, it's not exactly a plant, But still, have you ever wondered what it would be like if the shower curtain from Psycho grew into the forest? Look no further than the bleeding tooth fungus. True to its name, the young fruit of this fungus bleeds a bright red fluid. Giant Hogweed 
Contact with the sap of giant hogweed can cause scars, nasty blisters, and even blindness. In 1971, the band Genesis released a song called Beware of the Giant Hogweed on their album Nursery Crime, which details the plant's invasion of Great Britain. Lyrics from the song go, Botanical creature stirs, seeking revenge. Royal beasts did not forget. Soon they escaped, spreading their seed, preparing for an onslaught threatening the human race. Red Tide Red tides, or algal blooms as they're commonly called, are a phenomenon in which algae exist in such high concentrations that it discolors the water. Red tides are considered to be the inspiration behind the biblical blood ocean from the story of Exodus. Algal blooms occur all over the world, and the algae differs from body of water to body of water. The effects of red tide can be fatal to sea creatures and humans who consume seafood contaminated with the toxin. Although not all red tides are poisonous, their decomposing process can deplete the water of oxygen, forcing animals to either relocate or die. Death Camus It looks harmless enough, but as the name implies, death camus is toxic. All parts of death camus, the stem, the leaves, flowers, and its onion-look-alike bulbs, contain the poisonous alkaloid zygodenine. Consuming the plant in amounts that equal as little as 2-6% to of an animal's body weight will most likely be fatal. If you're lucky enough to avoid death, you'll endure vomiting, drooling, decreased blood pressure, diarrhea, weakness, and possibly a seizure or a coma. Venus flytrap by far the most famous of creepy plants, the Venus flytrap is known as the predator of the plant world. Its trapping mechanism is made up of a mouth, two leaves, trigger hairs that sense prey, and tooth-like cilia that keep the prey from escaping. The Venus flytrap doesn't mess around either. It can tell the difference between live prey and non-prey like raindrops, and it allows small prey that wouldn't be worth the energy of digestion to go free. Cascuda, or daughter vine. The daughter vine is also known by the folk name strangleweed because it wraps itself around other plants and inserts itself into their vascular systems, basically starving its host plant for life. Other sinister nicknames include devil's guts, devil's hair, devil's ringlet, and witch's hair. The brain cactus. Varieties of Mammillaria elongata, native to Mexico, grow in many different shapes, most distinctive of which is the brain cactus. We are not aware of any specific benefits, says Amanda Betton, the horticulture manager of the Franklin Park Conservatory and Botanical Gardens in Ohio. Many cacti sport some unusual growth patterns. The brain cactus is singled out as more unusual as it looks so much like the human brain as it matures. Angel's Trumpet all parts of the angel trumpet are poisonous. Exposure can cause paralysis, migraines, hallucinations, and even death. Though people drink angel trumpet tea for its hallucinogenic properties, the effects of angel trumpet are unpleasant, and because a lot of different factors, including hydration and time of the season, can affect the concentration of the toxic alkaloid, it's almost impossible to determine a safe amount to consume. However, people still grow the plant for its medical benefits, including anesthetic and anti-asthmatic properties.
when it comes to plants like angel trumpets, pets should be kept away from these plants, and you should wash your hands after handling cut stems. Jimpai Jimpai Tree Jimpai Jimpai has a reputation as the most painful tree ever. Its stinging hairs deliver a potent neurotoxin, and severe sting from the tree can even be fatal to humans. All you have to do is lightly touch the plant to feel the effects of the toxins, which can include a burning sensation, aching joints, and swelling under the armpits. If you are stung by the Gimpai Gimpai tree, be sure to remove the hairs, or else they will keep releasing the poison. Doll's Eye Doll's Eye, or Actea, is a plant that's native to Northeast America. Its name comes from its berries, which resemble eyeballs. The highly poisonous fruit ripens in the summer and stays until frost, so the timing is just perfect for Halloween. The Corpse Flower Amorpha phallus titanum is part of a group of flowers classified as a carrion flower, or corpse flower, because they actually smell like rotting flesh in order to attract pollinators like beetles and flies. The plant, which can be up to 10 feet tall, is sometimes called the world's largest flower, but it's actually made up of thousands of small flowers. Bladderwort The underwater leaves of the bladderwort form a bladder that traps small aquatic creatures. The bladder, which works similar to a vacuum, is an incredibly sophisticated trapping mechanism. Unlike most carnivorous plants, it can survive almost anywhere typically in wet soil, but sometimes floating in the water. And lastly, dragon's blood tree. Dracaena cinnabari, the dragon's blood tree, gets its folk name from its crimson sap that resembles blood. The sap, or resin, has been used for its anti-inflammatory properties, gastrointestinal benefits, and as dye or lipstick. The sap is also believed to have mystical properties and is used to enhance spells in ritual magic. Well, gang, nature can be a very scary and dangerous place, but I hope that I have scared you back into the garden so you can get busy doing those fall tasks you need. If, though, you want to be uh, terrified a little longer about plants and everything that is green, you may check out a plant, a, a book called Wicked Plants. The book is called Wicked Plants by Amy Stewart, and she talks about a number and variety of things uh, in addition to the, some of the things we talked about here today. So be sure to check that out. Now, listen, next week, I promise we're going to get to your Q&A, your, your questions with our answers. So be sure to join us next week on Saturday morning. Of course, we're here at 9, uh, 10 a.m. on WRWH 93.9 FM. I hope you have a happy and safe Halloween. Don't eat any plants you don't know. <laughs> Sit, stay well, grow well. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.